Hello guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Abroad Pod. I'm your host, Nicole, and today I'm going to cover how to score the cheapest flight deals. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing 10 tips on how you can find the cheapest flights no matter the time of year or the destination. With these tips, you guys will be able to find flights for all around the world that won't hurt the pocket. At the end of the episode, I'll be talking all about the Dominican Republic and how I was able to travel there two years ago with my summer internship and get paid to do it. You won't want to miss it. think this topic is important for all smart travelers to know because it really can save you big bucks. I also figured this topic was relevant to the times right now because flights really are so cheap. Because of COVID-19 and the lack of tourists traveling right now, airlines are taking a major hit. I talked all about this and how the travel industry is changing as a whole due to COVID-19 in episode 3 if you want more information on the pandemic. This episode is going to focus specifically on finding cheap flights, now and always. So like I mentioned in the intro, I have 10 tips for you guys today. The first one is when searching for flights online, make sure you are searching in a private browser. You're not crazy if you see flight prices change the second or third time you've searched them. Websites are tracking your activity and tend to increase their prices so that they can pressure travelers into booking the flights that they've searched. If you search in incognito mode or a private browser, the flight prices should stay the same when you search them. Tip number two is to use the following tools. So I've mentioned Google Flights before, and although the prices may not be the cheapest on the internet, I do think Google Flights is a great tool to use when comparing flight deals. You can easily use Google Flights to track different flights and notice how the prices vary depending on the day you want to leave. For example, the cheapest dates are going to be in the color green, The dates that are okay, maybe the prices can go down a bit, will be yellow. And then the dates that are very expensive to fly out on will be in red. I think Google Flights is a great tool to use to play around with these dates and figure out when the price will be the lowest. Another tool that I think is great, it's actually my favorite, is Skyscanner.com. So on Skyscanner, you can just plug in the date you want to leave or even the month and your specific destination and it will find you the cheapest possible flight. Say you're flying Delta, you might not book directly through Delta, but either way, Skyscanner will direct you to a third party that will find that cheapest price for you. This may sound sketchy, but I promise you I've booked almost all my flights on Skyscanner during both my semesters abroad and was able to score some really great deals. 
The third tip goes along with what I just said, and that's be as flexible with your departure date as possible. Obviously, if you have a wedding or a big event and you have to fly out on a certain day, that's fine, but it is cheaper to fly out on the weekdays. The difference between booking a Thursday morning flight and either a Friday morning or Saturday morning flight might be the difference of a couple hundred dollars. So if you can, be flexible with your departure date. Tip number four is one of my favorites, and that is to get used to budget airlines. Just watch out for baggage fees, though, because since these flights are so cheap, they usually come with nothing. Usually they do not serve food, and usually luggage is not included. So they may hit you with a pretty hefty baggage fee. Aside from the fee, I will say these flights are not ideal for long-haul travel. The economy seats are not the most comfortable, but if you don't mind being a little stiff to save you big bucks, I think budget airlines are actually really worth it. Some examples of budget airlines that fly around the United States are Frontier, Spirit, and Norwegian Air actually flies from a lot of major U.S. cities into Europe. If you're traveling to Australia or New Zealand, I recommend flying Jetstar, Tiger Air, or Scoot. If you're flying around Asia, some budget airlines there are Scoot, AirAsia, and Jetstar. And lastly, four of the biggest budget airlines in Europe are EasyJet, Wow Air, Ryanair, and Welling. Tip number five is to sign up for frequent flyer numbers and to collect points. So frequent flyer numbers are exactly what they sound like. It's an account that you can make where you'll be given a number and every time you book a flight you can type in that number and actually start to accumulate points. If you earn enough points you can then redeem those points for free flights. I'm embarrassed to say I have flown so much in my life. I've been flying since I was nine months old and I just made frequent flyer numbers in March. I'm kicking myself over how much money I've probably lost, especially some of my long haul flights from LA to Sydney or New York to Beijing. I probably could have had a few free domestic flights by now. But regardless, I have numbers now that I plan on using for every flight in the future, and I want to share this tip with you guys so you don't make the same silly mistake that I did. If you're in the U.S., which a lot of my listeners are, I recommend setting up accounts for a lot of the major airlines. These include JetBlue TrueBlue, Delta SkyMiles, United Mileage Plus, American Airlines AA Advantage, and Southwest Rapid Rewards. Another tip that has to do with points is credit cards. So there are a lot of travel credit cards that exist, and people kind of finesse the system in a way that's called travel hacking, where you sign up for a lot of credit cards, and every time you sign up, you actually earn mileage points, and you can use those points to fly. So, for example, my favorite travel vloggers, Kara and Nate, check them out on YouTube if you haven't already. They have over 20 credit cards that they use for this purpose. I definitely don't recommend everyone does this. I personally only have one, but it can save you thousands of dollars. The credit card that I have, if anyone is wondering, is the Bank of America Travel Rewards. 
and it's great. Basically, for every dollar that I spend on a travel-related purchase, such as Uber or trains, I earn one point, and I can use those points to either book flights or to even just pay off my bill. I definitely plan on signing up for more travel credit cards in the future, but given the fact that I'm a recent grad, that's just not a priority right now. I do recommend everyone, whether you're 13 or 30 or 65, make sure you have frequent flyer numbers. The next tip I have is more of a secret one, I think, and that is to look for airline mistakes. So when airlines are publishing new flights to their websites, they can make mistakes. It's not super common, but it does happen. Either there is a currency conversion mishap or literally just a typo, but there are flights that you can grab that are so cheap literally because they are mistakes. One of the companies that works hard to track these flights is called Scott's Cheap Flights. You can go to the website and basically just put in your email and you can get emails daily from Scott himself with flight deals. I did this and I now get emails every day with flight deals from my home airport to locations all around the world. I've seen some really, really great deals from this website, including flights from like Boston to Iceland for $200 round trip or Boston to Tokyo for $600 round trip. So I recommend everyone signs up for this. It's again, Scott's cheap flight. Tip number seven is to book flights within six to eight weeks before your departure. There is no hard set fact on when is the cheapest time to book flights, but this window is like the ideal range in terms of prices. You definitely don't want to book any earlier than about three months before and you don't want to book too late. I think the six to eight week window before your departure is the best time to be searching for flights online. And the eighth tip I have for all you guys today is another one of my favorites, and that is to book your own connecting flights. So by that, I mean, say you're trying to fly to Paris from New York City. I recommend booking a flight from New York to Iceland and then a second one from Iceland to Paris. This is usually a lot cheaper than the flight that the airline will usually provide, which might be that same exact route, but you might have a quick layover in Iceland. I hate fast layovers. I think they are very stressful. A lot of people often miss that second flight, especially if the first one is delayed. So I recommend giving yourself enough time in between. Not only is this a great tip because you now have more time to relax or even explore, but this is usually a lot cheaper. It's a well-known fact that all direct flights are going to be more expensive than connecting flights, but even some connecting flights can still be pretty pricey. I recommend booking connecting flights yourself with long layovers to explore. This is usually a very cheap option since most people just want to get right home, but if you're not in a time crunch, consider a layover to be a bonus trip. I actually did this with my friends when I was studying abroad in Sydney last year. We were flying home from Bali back to Sydney and we had a 22-hour layover in Singapore. We totally considered this to be an awesome bonus trip because we didn't need to pay for anywhere to stay. 
We got to see a whole nother country, and that flight from Bali to Sydney was way cheaper with the stop in Singapore than it would have been if we flew direct. I know that Iceland Air is another airline that does this all the time, and they have a whole promotion surrounding free stopovers, meaning that you can fly to Iceland, stay for however many days you want, and then continue on with your journey. I definitely recommend taking advantage of deals like this and spending some time to search for other ones. The ninth tip that I have for you guys kind of has to do with what I just said, and that is to mix and match airlines. So again, instead of booking the same airline on both legs of the flight or even there and back, I recommend looking into different airlines. It's actually usually cheaper to buy two separate one-way tickets than it is to buy a round-trip ticket. This is especially the case in Europe. When I was studying abroad, I did take buses a lot, but if I did fly, I used Skyscanner and I actually looked up one way. So for example, Rome to Paris one way and then back from Paris into Rome. I found that it was cheaper to buy tickets that way. So not only is it cheaper to book two separate one-ways, it's cheaper to mix and match airlines. So for example, you can fly Ryanair one way, and then on the way home, you could fly Wow Air. In the U.S., maybe you can fly from California to New York on Delta and on the way back with JetBlue. I recommend just taking some time to play with some different combinations, and I'm sure you'll find a really great deal. And this brings us to tip number 10. So the last tip I have to share today is to keep an eye out for any special flight deals. I know that sounds basic, but it's true. If you know exactly where you want to go and the rough time you want to go, keep your eyes peeled. Set Google alerts, check Hopper, do whatever you have to do, but keep an eye out for changes in price. A lot of airlines will offer special deals throughout the year to incentivize people to travel. For example, in 2019, JetBlue was offering a promotion where if you bought any domestic flight that flew out on October 31st, it would cost you $31 one way. $31. So that's just an example of a fun promotion that JetBlue offered, and a lot of other airlines do the same. So keep an eye out for those deals. And that covers it. Those are the 10 tips I have for you guys on how to find the cheapest flights possible. I promise by utilizing these tips and not just one of them, try to use all 10 of them if you can, you're bound to find some really great deals. Again, flights are very cheap right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic and airlines are pretty much desperate to fill up their flights, but when those prices start to go back up again, you'll be grateful you have these tips. And now, let's jump into this week's country, the Dominican Republic. So the Dominican Republic. Per usual, I'm going to begin this segment with some fast facts. So the Dominican Republic is a Caribbean nation that shares the island of Hispaniola with Haiti to the west. Hispaniola was discovered by Christopher Columbus, and modern day it's shared by the Dominican Republic to the east, It's bigger, it occupies about two-thirds of the island, and then Haiti to the west. The DR is known for its beaches, resorts, and golfing. 
The terrain includes lots of rainforest, including Pico Duarte, the Caribbean's tallest mountain. The capital of the Dominican Republic is Santo Domingo, which has many Spanish landmarks dating back several centuries. Probably the most well-known area of the DR is Punta Cana, which is the easternmost tip of the Dominican Republic. It juts out where the Caribbean Sea meets the Atlantic Ocean. There are a lot of all-inclusive resorts here, but I've actually never been and really want to go. I just remembered this fact about the capital, Santo Domingo, that I want to share. So the capital city is actually the oldest city in the Americas. So as I mentioned earlier, the island was founded by Christopher Columbus in 1496, and the city was the first colonial rule of the Spanish crown in the New World. Interesting, isn't it? So there are a lot of differences between the Dominican Republic and Haiti. I've actually never been to Haiti, but I'm sure you guys have seen the popular photos online that show an aerial view of the border between Haiti and the DR. The DR is really lush and is known for its jungle and rainforest, and Haiti looks almost like a desert. When I visited the DR, I actually helped work with a tree conservation company who was planting seedlings that were going to be shipped to Haiti to help regrow their forest. I just thought that was an interesting little story to share. As you can see, there are a lot of differences between the two island nations. Another difference is that the main language in the DR is Spanish, and in Haiti, it's actually French. And now I'll be sharing the story of what brought me to the Dominican Republic two summers ago. So during the summer of 2018, between my sophomore and junior year, I interned for EF Education First in their Boston office. I've mentioned this before, but I knew of EF because I traveled with them on an educational tour in high school, actually, to Italy. I knew of the company, and also I've always wanted to work in the travel industry. This is still my dream career, so I applied for internships, and I ended up networking and meeting someone at the company and got hired as an intern. It's actually a really funny story how I got hired for this job. I was working at a country club at the time and ended up serving the woman who became my future boss. <laughs> More details about that another time, but yes, so basically I got hired as an intern. I was a 360 intern, that is their internship program that they offer, and I worked on the education team for educational tours. So I started my internship in May 2018 and was presented the opportunity a few weeks later to travel to the Dominican Republic. The reason why I got to travel is because I voiced that I have my own travel blog and I told them that if I got to go on an EF tour again, I would love to help create content for them. So I would interview travelers on tour, I would interview group leaders who are usually the teachers, even EF staff, and I would write a bunch of blog posts, take photos basically do whatever they needed. I thought that I could be helpful not only for content creation, but also because I had been on a tour myself. So I kind of knew the student perspective as well. So I definitely recommend speaking up, voicing your strengths, because my team listened to me and there was an opportunity for me to travel to the Dominican Republic with EF's video team 
and help with content creation. The video team's purpose for being in the DR was to collect footage to promote their service learning tours and they were going to collect video footage of the students in action and the teachers and make a series of YouTube videos out of it. I was there to not only shadow and learn, but I also got to interview a bunch of the travelers and the teachers and create blog posts for the website, which was exactly my dream project as an intern. I'm so lucky that I had an experience like this just as an intern where I was paid to fly down to the Dominican Republic and I could log my hours every day while I was learning hands-on. This trip definitely taught me a lot about videography and even customer service support, how to act around the students and teachers on tour, and how to properly interview. A lot of the tips that I learned from that tour I still put into use today, and when I start interviewing people for the podcast, I am going to recall on some of those tips that I learned. So in mid-June 2018, after a few weeks of my internship and voicing my opinion of what I want to do this summer and what benefit I think I have to the team, I flew down to the Dominican Republic. I spent five days in the DR and I was able to see a lot. So we flew into Santiago and first stayed in the mountains. Here we met up with a high school tour that was on a service learning tour, meaning they were studying Spanish while also doing service projects. This was a really interesting experience because I was very much so away from the tourist aspects of the island, such as Punacana, and truly immersed with locals in the Dominican Republic rainforest. So here we did service projects such as helping to build a fongo, which is a clay oven that is extremely environmentally friendly. And we also went to the southern portion of the island to a beach town called Boca Chica, where I helped another group rebuild a coral reef. This was my personal favorite project because not only did I get to interview two groups of students here, I actually was hands-on and helped to reconstruct the coral reef and the mangrove forest. My favorite part about this trip was the fact that I wasn't just in one place for the whole five days. We had a rental car, so we were able to drive around the island and meet up with different tour groups who were doing different activities throughout the DR with EF. In total, I interviewed six students and three teachers from all different places around the country and got to talk to them about their experiences. These blog posts ended up being called Student Spotlights and Get to Know a Group Leader. It was so inspiring to talk to the teachers and hear about the transformations they've seen in their students. These conversations made me value EF's mission even more. The company truly does open the world through education. If I didn't already think that before, from my own experience on tour, I definitely thought it after this trip. All of the students that I met were in high school, and for a lot of them, this was actually their first time out of the country. That's very common on EF tours. When I traveled to Italy, 
It wasn't my first time out of the country, but it was my first time doing any big trip without my family. One of the students I met on tour, her name was Callie, she shared with me that this trip to the DR was her first time she has seen the ocean. She said that it has now inspired her to want to visit places all around the world and to learn how to swim. This trip was such an incredible opportunity to meet students from all around the U.S. and to learn what EF means to them. I really did learn so much on this trip about EF, myself, and also some really good skills that have stuck with me until today. Aside from the service projects, I also got to have a lot of fun on this trip. We all swam together, I went paddleboarding, and we ended the trip by sightseeing the capital, Santo Domingo. Like I mentioned earlier, I've never been to Punta Cana, but if I can give any recommendation for the DR, it's to visit the capital city. The whole city is designed in a colonial way since it dates back to that era, and it's really, really beautiful. There's a lot of forts and a lot of colonial churches. I definitely recommend stopping here if you can. This trip and the Dominican Republic will always have a special place in my heart because it marked the first time that I traveled for work. Being paid to travel was a goal that I set for myself when I was 15 years old. I am happy to say I've done it a few times now, mostly through different work opportunities with EF, but it's something I hope to continue to do my whole life. I'm so grateful for the opportunities I've been given, and I can't wait to see what the future holds. I plan on working hard and doing projects like this, so that I can have a career in the travel industry and get paid to travel. That truly is my dream. So that's the story of how I traveled to the Dominican Republic and got paid to do it. It's definitely one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. It was a non-traditional trip, a work trip in the Caribbean, and it was an experience I'll never forget. As usual, I will link my blog post that is associated with this podcast in the show notes so you guys can read more about my experience in the DR there. Also, thank you to everyone who has left me a rating so far. If you have time and you're really enjoying the Abroad Pod, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It literally takes five seconds and means the world. Also, be sure to check out my blog. I will actually be writing a post all about finding cheap flights, so if you need a refresh on what was said today, feel free to check that out as well. Thank you all for listening to another episode of The Abroad Pod, and I will catch you guys next week for another topic in a new country. Bye!